The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, let's pray. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for this time to gather together and worship you. Thank you for each person here today. We adore you, we praise you, and I ask that you would speak to us clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor of Grace City. It's great to see you this morning. And um, as was shared. We're, we're a part of this together for our city. And, and it was exciting because even this past week I was walking into Starbucks and, and one of the people that works over at Spreckles Elementary said, hey, thanks for the gift cards that we, the, the families there at the school were so excited to get those gift cards. And so she said it made a huge difference in their lives. And I just want you to know that there is an impact that's being made uh, because of your faithfulness to Christ. Um, and so as we're starting uh, this series, you know, we, we've been in the Sermon of the Mount where we're, we're, we're working through this really like what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? Like for real, right? Like we want to talk about what it looks like to really be a follower of Jesus. And, you know, a lot of the times during the beginning of the year, we make these resolutions. And so I think it's like, you know, at this time, we're still trying to make resolutions and different things like that. But I would encourage you, maybe instead of a resolution, be resolved to something. And so I saw this great quote this past week from a man named Jonathan Edwards. He was a preacher uh, in America that, that made a huge impact. And, and he made two resolutions. He, or, or he was resolved to two things, not resolutions. But he said this. Number one, he was going to resolve to that all men should live for the glory of God. Resolved that all men should live for the glory of God. But secondly, resolved whether uh, others do or not, I will. Whether others do or not, I will. And I think that's really important for us because you think about, you know, the reasons why we don't follow through on our faith, why we don't live out our faith, why we don't live out the gospel. And sometimes it's because other people might make it difficult for us or hard for us to do that. Um, But I just want to encourage you that that's what the Sermon on the Mount is really about. It's resolving to say, I'm going to live for the glory of God. I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. And that's why the Sermon on the Mount is so important for us as believers. And so one one thing I just want to encourage you on is just to bring your Bible every week. You know, one of the things we're going to keep doing is just saying, you're like, open up your Bible, look at this scripture. And so I want for you to know God's word. Because I saw this stat this week. It said this, that somebody who reads their Bible at least four times a week, it radically changes their life. Like there's something that happens. It's not a, you know, it's like a little bit, one, two, three, but there was a study that was done that said if you read it four times a week, it was the Center for Bible Engagement did this study. They said if you read it four times a week, there's something that drastically happens four times or more when you open up God's word. And so again, like let's resolve to really live out the gospel. Let's really resolve to live out what Christ says, right? And so uh, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount today, and, and I'm going to tell you, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. This is one of those hard sayings of Jesus. And so our text is Matthew 5, 9 through 12, and here's the message. God's peace 
in a hostile world. God's peace in a hostile world. As I said, over the next few months, we'll be studying uh, Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll be looking at how this sermon gives us really marks or indicators of what a true Christian looks like. Now, the term Jesus uses is the kingdom of heaven. And, and this describes somebody who, again, has been radically saved, transformed by God from the inside out. Somebody who's a part of the kingdom of heaven is somebody who is a Christian. And this is important because many times people will look at the church and they don't see much difference from the rest of the world. Right? They look at the church, they say, those people are just like me. What's any different about them? But the Sermon on the Mount, if we read it, not with eyes glazed over like, okay, I think I understand that, but really read it, then we will understand that it confronts us with what it means to truly be a Christian. Now again, Ian again, I, I pointed this out last week, but I think it's worth saying again, that the Sermon on the Mount challenges us with this question. To which drum are we marching? Are we marching to the drum of the world or are we marching to the drum of God's kingdom as we hear it in God's word? Right, like which drum are we, be, are we, we, we marching to? Right, are we listening to what God truly says? And today's text asks us this tough question. Are you known as a person of peace? A person of peace. You see, we live in a world right now that is filled with hostility, right? Twitter wars, feuds, gossip, character assassination, drama, keyboard warriors. You know what a keyboard warrior is, right? Somebody doesn't share their identity but just, just tears other people down online. See, these things, we laugh, but they've become commonplace in our world. In our current social media, online culture, it's easier than ever to comment, to criticize, to critique, and cut out, right? You're going to cut out of my life. You're done. Even with little to no information. It's as easy as an unlike button, a Yelp review, or an unfollow. And so, again, let me ask, are you a person of peace in the midst of that? Because I just want to admit, it's hard to be. It's hard to be, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, it is very hard to be a person of peace in the midst of that. Because we want to argue our point. We want to know people to hear our heart. We want to know the other side, right? We want people to know these things. What does it look like to be a person of peace? Well, the, the text today is Matthew 5, 9 through 12. And, and like we touched on last week, Jesus' Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is not just this, this religious checklist, right? It's not describing eight different types of people. Like, oh, yeah, well, here's the meek person versus the poor in spirit person. But really, it's describing in totality one type of person with the qualities of being a kingdom person. And ultimately, it's pointing us to our need, our deep need, for the only one who lived it out perfectly. The only one who is truly good. You see, because if we honestly read through the Beatitudes, then we would have to say that we fall short. We honestly need something more. We need God. 
about this text, commentator D.A. Carson writes, he says, within the total, bi- total biblical framework, the greatest peacemaker is Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. He makes peace with God and man by removing sin, the ground of alienation. He makes peace between man and man by removing sin and by bringing men into right relationship with God. Thus, the good news of Jesus Christ is the greatest peacemaking message. And the Christian's role as peacemaker extends not only to spreading the gospel, but to lessening tensions, seeking solutions, ensuring that communication is understood. Perhaps the most difficult assignments will take place when he is personally involved. When he's personally involved. Right, this isn't a text that we can try and distance ourselves from. But it's something that's a reality within our own households and our own relationships, friend groups, whatever you want to call it. Like, it is there. And what this means is that living as a peacemaker is not an optional thing for a Christian, but is absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential. And so how does that become a reality in our life? We want to look at that today. Now first, give some, giving some background on the book of Matthew, it's written by a man named Matthew who was a Jewish man but became a tax collector for, for the Roman government. And he meets Jesus and Jesus says, no longer are you going to do that, but you're going to follow me. And so he, he, he again is just radically changed, becomes a disciple of Jesus. And specifically in the book of Matthew, he's writing to a, a Jewish audience. And so there are a lot of um, Old Testament references that you're going to see all through the book of Matthew. You're going to see it all in the Sermon on the Mount as well. But Jesus um, speaks to us. And, and one of the things he says is that he says, blessed, blessed, blessed. And so uh, the word beatitudes, which we've probably heard before if we've been in church for a while, is this. It's a rough translation of a Latin word that means blessed. But what does it mean? Well, fundamentally, to be blessed is to have God's favor, God's grace, God's approval in your life. Blessed are, are these people. And so what is the life that God blesses? Again, it's the life of a peacemaker. And so today we must ask three questions about God's peace. Number one, how do we receive it? Number two, how do we know we have it? And number three, what's the result? How do we receive it? How do we know we have it? And what's the result? And so number one, how do we receive it? Well, it says, blessed are the peacemakers in verse nine, the first part. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, let's first ask specifically, what is this peace? Because when you read peace, you think, well, it's just the absence of anxiety or it's just this tranquil feeling. But biblically, it's, it's, a, it's a lot more than that. See, the, the word for peace in the Greek is irene. And so it means to release from the rage and havoc of war to release from the rage and havoc of war. It also means the Messiah's peace specifically. And so it's talking about the peace that God gives, that Jesus' peace, the, the way that leads to peace, which is salvation, right? And so there's a peace. To become a Christian, we must first understand that we need to be at peace. But how? We need to be released from the rage and havoc of war. The rage and havoc of war. You may say, war? Well, with who? Have you read my Twitter account lately? I mean, you know, like, who am I at war with? I'm not at war. 
Well, throughout the Bible, it tells us that our natural condition, the natural condition of the human heart, it says is enmity or hostility towards God. Romans 8, 5 through 7 tells us that. And so for us, that, that, that's really the starting place, right? It, it's, the, it's the deep end. It's the thing that we don't like hearing. It's the bad news. And so before we can receive God's peace, we must understand this, that there is a war that rages within each of us against the living God. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So again, the, the Bible doesn't mince words about who we were before we knew Christ. But it says that we were enemies to the cross. We didn't live in accordance with God's will. Again, you may say enemies and you think that's harsh, but... You say, okay, I admit it. At times I'm, I'm indifferent to the cross. I'm indifferent to God, but surely I'm not hostile to him. See, this is where we have to get specific because um, there's a study that was done in 2018. It says, uh, Pew Research did it. They put out this study that said, nine in 10 Americans believe in a higher power, but only a slim majority believe in God as described in the Bible. God is described in the Bible. Now, why is this important? Well, humanity is not hostile to this generic idea of God or this generic idea of a higher power. Because what happens is we can make him into whatever we want him to be. Where humanity gets hostile within our own hearts is when we start to get specific with the God as described in the Bible. The one who says, be holy as I am holy. The God who says in Hebrews 10.30, vengeance is mine, I will repay. The one who says, take up your cross and follow me. Your life is no longer your own, it is mine. The God who comes into every nook and cranny in our lives and says, mine. I made you. Your life is no longer your own. See, the God of the Bible doesn't let us compartmentalize and say, okay, you can have this part of my life, God, but not this part. He says every part of our lives. And that's where we put up a fight. That's where we say, God, that's too much. Because the God that we see in the Bible says, you're going to have to give an account to him. Every living creature will have to give an account. Romans 14, 12. 19th century pastor and author George MacDonald explains it this way. He says, for the, the one principle of hell is this. I am my own. I'm my own king and my own subject. My own glory is and ought to be my chief care. My ambition to re uh, gather regards of men to, the uh, to one center myself. My pleasure is my pleasure. My kingdom is as many as I can bring to acknowledge my greatness over them. My judgment is the faultless rule of things. My right is what I desire. And let me get personal. I see that war that rages in me. I see it. Right? I see that, that thing in me that, that just wants to control things, that wants to be in charge of my life. What has God saved me from this selfishness of thinking that I'm the king and I'm the ruler of my own life? 
See, without Jesus, there is no peace. There's only this war that rages within, and you know it because it's affected relationships around you. It's affected family, friendships, all of these things. And Jesus says, I've come to bring you peace. See, here's the good news. God came in love for his enemies to reconcile and make peace. Irene, people like me, right? The ones that want to fight for our own ways. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. Same word used that Jesus uses in Matthew 5.9. Same word, Irene. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We got to get that. Right, this, this is the entry point into Christianity. The only way that I have peace with God is coming through the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. See, how do we have peace with God? By coming face to face with, face to face with Jesus. We must come face to face with the fact that our hostility towards God put Jesus on the cross. To have God's peace, I must personally acknowledge that my sin, Randall, My selfishness, Randall's selfishness and rebellion was so complete and total that the only way I could have peace with the God of the universe who was holy and just was that the Son of God had to die for me. Had to die for me. John Stott said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Done by us. Have you personally received God's greatest peace offering, Jesus Christ? This is the only way to God's peace. And I have to start there. I have to start there. Because that is the peace that we need in our lives. Secondly, how do we know we have it? How do we know we have it? Well, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Sons of God. Here's what happens. God's peace begins to work in the deepest parts of who we are. So much so that it begins to change you from the inside out. And just as God initiated peace with us, we start to initiate and make peace with those around us. When God's peace comes into our lives, it is a natural byproduct to make peace with other people. It's a natural byproduct. It starts to come out of us because God is changing us from the inside out. Do you see what it says? For they shall be called sons of God. Now, this is important, that that term sons of God, because it doesn't say like, again, like just children of God. But it specifically says sons of God. Why? Well, Recently, I was, I was at Starbucks, and my son was uh, not with me, but um, some of the people that called me over knew him. They see him. They, one of the things, it gets late in the mornings. I don't get him breakfast, and so I'm like, I got to run into Starbucks real quick, and I'm going to send my son in to go get like a sandwich or something like that, bring it in, and it happens more than I'd like it to happen, okay? Um, <laughs> we, we just get behind in our schedule, and then it's like, okay, I got to get him something real quick. Um, and so we go into Starbucks. But one of the things is that the people who see us in the mornings, they, they know us. They know our family. 
And one of the guys uh, says, how did you get your son to be like that? Like, what do you mean? Well, he opens a door for people and he says hi to everybody in Starbucks. Everybody knows him. <laughs> how did you get him to do that? And then my friend Bruno said, like father, like son. Here's the thing. What this is trying to tell us is this. That when you are out in the world, people see that there is a resemblance, a family resemblance that you have to your father in heaven. By the way that you treat people. But, but when you go out in the world, they might not know exactly where it comes from and all of those things, but there's a family, not just like physical, but it is a character thing. Why sons of God? Because you start to look like the son of God, Jesus Christ. Your life starts to look like him. It's like it talks about in Corinthians, like the aroma of Christ starts to come over your life. This is your reputation. But not only that, it's your mission. It's your mission. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through, the, through Christ, right? Starts with the reconciliation that God has done between God and man, but then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave you a ministry. He, he gave you a ministry to go out into the world and to look like Jesus. See, no longer is it about our relationship just to God, but it's also our relationship to others. And let me say, this is the litmus test to our Christianity. This is hard, isn't it? This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is the divine work of God. Like, I'm just telling you, you can't do this on your own strength. You can't do this on your own ability. You will get to the end of yourself. But God is able to do that in your life. See, on this text, commentator John Stott writes this. He says, to proclaim peace, peace, when there is no peace, is the work of the false prophet, not the Christian witness. Many examples could be given of peace through pain. When we ourselves are involved in a quarrel, there will be either the pain of apologizing to the person we have injured or the pain of rebuking the person who has injured us. Sometimes there's the nagging pain of having to refuse to forgive the guilty party until he repents. True peace and true forgiveness are costly treasures. In disputes, there will be the pains of listening, of, of, of ridding ourselves of prejudice, of striving sympathetically to understand both the opposing points of view and of risking understand, or misunderstanding, ingratitude, or failure. Let me ask, like, how many of us want to lean into that? Right? Within our natural selves, some of us, we want to fight, but do it in our strength. Or we want to flight and do that in our strength as well and just say there's nothing there. But to be a peacemaker, as Jesus is talking about, is somebody who leans in only on the power of God. Here's the hard questions. Do you live like this? Do you lean into relationships in a humble, Christ-centered way? Are you starting to look more and more like Jesus in your relationships? Is there fruit? Is there fruit? 
we must honestly ask ourselves, do people say that we look like Jesus? Because it says, for they shall be called. They shall be called the sons of God. Last, what's the result? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now there's two parts to this. The first one is this. There's a temporary result that happens when you start to live as Jesus commands, as a peacemaker. But then there's an eternal result as well. And so first I want to touch on the temporary result. Look at verse 10. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now if we don't get this part, we will distort the scriptures in many ways. Right? Because at some point in our pride and our arrogance and all these things, we can say, well, people are just persecuting me. People don't like me. that's, That's not what this is about here. It's specifically, it says, for righteousness' sake. For righteousness' sake, okay? And so, uh, again, D.A. Carson says this, the final beatitude does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they are objectionable or because they rave like wild-eyed fanatics or because they pursue some religio-political cause. The blessing is restricted to those who suffer persecution because of righteousness. 1 Peter 3.13, uh, 4.12-16 the believers who are described in this passage are those determined to live as Jesus lived. Are determined to live as Jesus lived. See, what's the result of a Christ-centered life? Some of you know this. You go out into the world, you experience it in your job place, you experience it at school, you experience it out in the world. What does it look like? Well, it says others revile you. What this means is that there's undeserved suffering and insults. They'll persecute you. This isn't like some just generic term, but what what does that look like? Well, it looks like being harassed, people making trouble with you, hostile towards you, intimidating you, maybe ignoring you or excluding you. Right? When you actually live this stuff out, stuff starts to happen. Utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, spread rumors, lies, gossip, try to tear down your character. This stuff happens. Why does this happen? Jesus says, on my account. On my account. Because you're trying to live like Jesus and for his kingdom, this will happen. Sinclair Ferguson says it well. He says, Christians are persecuted for the sake of righteousness because of their loyalty to Christ. Real loyalty to him creates friction in the hearts of those who only pay him lip service. But such integrity challenges the moral indifference of the world. Not to do the things everybody does stirs the world's sleepy conscience. More than that, it irritates it and causes annoyance and even anger. You have to know that that there will be a result that happens because of you following Christ. But I want to emphasize it's temporary. It's temporary. Right? It's not forever, it's temporary. Because here's what is forever, the eternal result. It says, rejoice and be glad, for your word is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, this is the litmus test that, that you are God's. 
Jesus said, remember what I, I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Isn't that one of those scriptures that we just kind of want to skip over? Right, like, okay, I, I hear you, Jesus, but I don't really want to think too deeply on that one. But this is the reality for a true Christian. But here's the great joy. That God sees you. That God knows you. That, that, that you will be counted along with the prophets, it says. Those that served God faithfully. Right? That, that's what happens when you start to live this out. Is, is you start to know that you're not alone. You're not alone. When you, when you read through the chapter of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And you start to see all the things that those that have gone before, those that love the Lord, faithfully serving the Lord actually went through, you start to see, okay, this is not going to be easy. But it's worth it. It's worth it. And so quickly, some takeaways. Here's some next steps, all right? This is for us. And this is, this is a hard teaching today, isn't it? It's a hard teaching. But it's good, and we have to really sink this down deep because like I said before, my heart for you, our heart for you as pastors is we want you to know Jesus. Not just lip service, really know him. Okay, and so here's what, the first next step. Examine yourself before God. Examine yourself before God. A am I living as an enemy, and as an enemy to the king? Right, right, do I see these things, these hostile things within me have I laid them down at the foot of the cross? Have they, I laid them down before God? Am I living as an enemy of the king or as a servant to the king? Servant to the king. Right? You can't get around that in the scriptures. What, what people who, who truly follow Christ call themselves, they call themselves servants. And a servant does whatever the master says. Okay, Lord, whatever you will, not my will. See, that's the question. Not my will, but God's will be done. God's will be done. And this is the most important thing. Like, have you truly received God's greatest peace offering in Jesus Christ? Have you really received him? You know, I want to be here at the end of service. I, I would love to talk with you about what that looks like. Because that's why we're here today. That's why we gather. That's what all this stuff is about. Is it? It's about you knowing Christ. And if you're raging in your heart right now, I want you to know Jesus. So we love to introduce you to Him today. Second, seek honest feedback about yourself. Here's the thing: I got three kids. All of them. There's there's at times not much peace in our household because they're just screaming at each other. There's some like fight. I gotta like break up, right? Like, like no, we gotta talk through this. And um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed in them, and I notice even within myself, is this: um, what they do is they start to say, "Well, that's what they they did this to me. It's their fault. This is why things are wrong." And, and so instead of looking at themselves, they start to look at their brother or sister. It's their fault. This is what they did. And I said, no, 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 I got to help you out here. Here's a mirror. You know, like look in the mirror real quick and see what is it that I did. 
What did I do? Right? Seek honest feedback about yourself. Like, let me tell you, here's the things that you did to escalate the situation to get it to where it is. I got to be honest about what I did. Right? So that's what I'm trying to teach my kids. And, and, and what the Bible tells us, it says, get rid of childish ways and mature. And so I'm trying to help my kids to mature even when it comes to peacemaking within our own home. Because when they're willing to admit and say, hey, here's all the things I did wrong and I'm sorry, then there actually starts to be some progress in the relationship and they start to hug and they start to love each other and then everything's okay, right? But they didn't like, we didn't like sweep it under the rug and say it wasn't there. But we say, hey, here's what it is. I'm trying to teach you to put away childish ways and start to come to what it looks like to be mature as a person out in the world because we want you to have good friendships and relationships. We want you to have strong friendships and relationships. And so seek honest feedback about yourself. Are you a peacemaker? Are you suffering for righteousness or selfish reasons? Do you look more and more like the son of God, Jesus, and what he's done in your life or something else? Is there someone that you need to make peace with today? Today. Here's our natural instinct. When we see the person that we don't want to be around or the person that hurt us deeply, we try to act like they're not there. We try to act like they're not there. We got to come face to face with the reality of what it looks like to be a peacemaker. A peacemaker. There's action involved in that. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. We need some honest feedback in our lives, don't we? To help us, to grow, to get better. Last, remember that a Christ-centered life will bring hardship. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. That's from the word of God. As something strange were happening to you. Many times we are surprised, disillusioned about struggle and hardship, aren't we? Especially when it comes to relationships. But the Bible tells us don't be surprised about things. Don't be surprised about persecution. Don't, don't be surprised about hardships. You ask, well, how do I get through it? How do I get through it? Elizabeth Elliot said it well when she said this, the secret is Christ in me not me in a different set of circumstances. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. I looked at my wife this week. I said, what does that mean? Like, how do you, how does that live, how, how do you live that out? Like, really live that out. Christ in me. Not me in a different set of circumstances. Because naturally, I want to run. I want to just get away from it, Right? But how do you, Christ in me. Jesus says this. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In your hardest, most difficult situation, can you have peace? Yeah. Why? Because he is our peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. 
He's the one who rules and reigns above everything else that's going on in your life. And even in the the most chaotic, most difficult situations that are going on around you, the secret is Christ in me. It is Christ that is my peace. It is everything in him. He says, "In, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You're struggling today. You're feeling chaotic inside. Hey, come to the Prince of Peace. He's good. He's good. And he solved the problem, the greatest problem in our lives between us and God. It's the cross. And when you understand the cross just starts to permeate into every part of your life, And it's not just compartmentalized to little parts, but it's just like every part of it is just overshadowed by what Jesus has done for you. Do you know that? Have you received that? I hope you will today if you haven't. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this this teaching. It's hard. It's so hard. But Lord, you've done the great work of making it possible, making it real in our lives. So teach us the secret of Christ in me. Teach us the secret of the peace that only you can offer in our lives in a hostile world where things are just raging around us, Lord. May we not live to the drumbeat of the world, but to the drumbeat of the kingdom of God. Give us your grace. Give us your strength. Give us your hope. Give us everything we need. Thank you for for paying the ultimate price. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.